0: You're listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. Let's go ahead and dive into uh, the message. For the last few weeks, we've been uh, in this series that we're calling "How People Tick," and the assumption is is that just like with a, a clock or a watch, below the surface, um, there's something going on that determines what it is that we see. And we, the assumption is this: the same way with you and with me, and the Bible refers to this this internal location of where we make decisions, kind of the the control center for our lives, the Bible refers to this as the heart. It's not the the organ that beats in our chest, but it's kind of this internal command center, this decision-making center of who we are. Now, my wife's um, uh, grandfather, he has a hobby of taking apart old clocks and putting them back together and making them um, work. And whenever we go to his house, um, it's cool to go into this uh, workshop room that he has because he's got all these different clocks, these old clocks that are kind of deconstructed or varying degrees of repair. And he's got the parts out. And he's you know working on and putting them back together. And it's really fun to walk in there and just kind of see all the internal workings of these clocks and see the cogs and the gears and the springs and the little screws, all these different things that are going on inside there. And whenever I go in that room, you know I'm curious, and I'm looking around, and I'll ask questions. But I'm really careful not to touch anything because I know how complex it is, how complex the work is that he's doing. He's got these really small parts that go into these clocks and they determine if it works and how it works. And it's actually the same thing when it comes to the human heart, this decision-making center of who we are. It's incredibly complex. There's all different kinds of things going on inside of there. So for the last few weeks, we've been kind of exploring what does the Bible say about what's going on inside of our hearts? And we've seen how it's in the heart that we have we have our desires. We have good desires and we've got bad desires, but we don't just automatically act on desires. It's not just instinctual. We actually take those desires and we filter them through perspectives, how we think life works, and through values, kind of this ranking of our priorities in a given moment. So we take the desires, we, we filter them through our perspectives and our values, but then that just, that's not automatically go to behavior. We've then got goals that we come up with in our hearts, intended outcomes that we want to see. And then we choose strategies based based on our goals, different approaches that will, we think, get us the results that we want. And all of that is going on below the surface inside of us before the behavior and the words that we see and that we hear ever come out on the outside. And what that means is, because of this complexity and everything going on below the surface, If you and I really want to change, that change has to take place at a heart level. We have to go to work on what's going on inside of us because what's going on inside of us determines what comes out on the outside. So we've been unpacking this for the last few weeks. And today and then next Sunday, we're actually going to shift gears a little bit. And we're going to talk about, we're going to take a look at two, two really important facets of reality based on how God designed reality to work. Because if we understand these two things and then we choose for them to inform the decisions we make on the inside, what will happen is that'll, that'll increase our, our experience in life. We'll experience more success, more joy, and we'll advance in life. But if we ignore these two, if we reject them, the thing we're going to look at this week and the next week, what we're doing is we are, we are inviting unnecessary pain into our lives. I don't want to know about you, but I don't want to experience more pain. I want to experience more success. So these two, I think, are going to be really, really helpful as we unpack them together and then let them inform what's going on inside of our hearts. So today, we're going to look at something called the PAR principle, the PAR principle, privilege, accountability, responsibility. And on your notes, if you're following along this morning, you'll notice that your notes are blank, so there is a diagram that you're going to uh, draw this morning. I'm going to start, I'm going to read a passage, after I read the passage, we're going to kind of unpack it, see how the par principles at work inside of the passage, and then there's a diagram that I'm going to walk you through, drawing so you can see um, this important part of how God made reality. So we're going we're to focus on Matthew chapter 25. We're going to read a chunk of it. We're going to read verses 14 through 30, and what Jesus is doing is he is he's teaching about how the world works, what's going on in the world, and he's also revealing where we need to focus our energy in this passage in Matthew chapter Um, 25, and he tells a story about a man who's going on a long journey, and um, he really lays out this par principle for us pretty clearly. So I'm going to start Matthew 25, starting in um, verse 14. I'm going to take a drink before I read 17 verses. So this is what Jesus says. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account for how they had used his money. The servant, to whom he had entrusted with five bags of silver, came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let us celebrate together. The servant, who had received the two bags of silver, came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I have, could have gotten interest on it. Then he ordered, take, this money, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So again, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's laying out this really important that we need to understand about how God designed reality. In the story, it starts with responsibility. That's the first thing, responsibility. Each one of the servants in the story is given responsibility. They're given responsibility for the master's resources. And each one is given a different amount. One's five, one's two, one's one. They're given a different amount. And this is, I mean, this is how life works. I have different responsibilities than you do. You have different responsibilities than I do. This is just how life works. There's different responsibilities. So the master gives responsibilities. And with the responsibilities come accountability. There's accountability. The master in the story, he's going to return. And he expects something for what he's given them. He expects them to have something to show based on what he's given them. There's accountability. He's going he's to come and check in on them. And then there's privilege in the story. In the story, you, it, it's safe to assume that the, the servant who had the five bags of silver with more responsibility probably came more income and came more opportunities. Same with the one who had two. There was, there was privileges attached to the responsibilities that they were given. It, it also says that when the master returned, says he was full of praise. And he says to the servants who did well, he says, let's celebrate together. They did well, and one of the privileges, they got to party with their boss. There were privileges attached to the responsibilities they were given. God designed reality for these three to line up. Starts with responsibilities, accountability comes with the responsibility, and there's also privileges that line up based on the responsibility and the accountability that we're given. And how it works is there's a ladder that exists in the area of responsibility. You climb the ladder in the area of responsibility and you move up over time. You move up to the next rung. When you get to the next rung, there's more accountability that comes with it, but the privileges those are going to flow. Those are going to increase as well. You see this in the story. You've got the one servant who has two, and he turns it into four. And the master says, I'm going to give you more responsibility. You did well at that level. We're going to move you up to another level. There's going to be accountability and privilege that match. Same thing with the, with the servant that's given five that he turns in, into ten. Actually, this is why kind of the summary verse of this story, verse 29, says this. It says, to those who use well what they are given... Even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. This is how it works. You, these God-designed reality for these three to line up. You take on responsibility. As you do well with your responsibility, there is accountability there, but then the privilege over time matches that. And then you move up to the next one, and you move up. These three increase together over time. And the word actually that describes how you climb the ladder is the word faithful. As you're faithful with your responsibilities... That's how you climb the ladder. Sometimes we think you climb the ladder by being pushy or being a go-getter or looking out for number one or you've just got to grab life by the horns and you've just got to make it happen. Sometimes we think, well, that's how you climb the ladder. But actually God says, no, the way you climb the ladder, according to him, is by being faithful with the responsibilities that you've been given. This is why what the master says to the two servants who do well, he says, well done, my good and pushy servant my good and mean, aggressive servant. No, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. So what he's saying is you climb the ladder by getting really clear on, okay, these are the responsibilities that I've been given. I need to be faithful with those. Faithful meaning handling them the way that God instructs. That's what faithful is. Faithful is, okay, I know what God wants me to do and how he wants me to do it, now I'm gonna do it. When you're faithful with those responsibilities, over time, you climb the ladder. And I actually, wanna, I want to highlight three areas of faithfulness that God wants us to pay special attention to, because in our in our culture, in our society, we often overlook these and think that they're insignificant. But from God's perspective, God actually says these three areas these are these are the proving grounds. These are faithfulness tests where you get to prove if you can be entrusted with more. So let me give you give you three quick faithfulness tests. The first one, Luke sixteen ten, is the idea of small before big. Often. Often small things, we overlook the small things, small chores, small tasks. We think that stuff doesn't really matter. What matters is the big stuff, the stuff that everybody sees, the big projects, the big big tasks, the big assignments, the stuff where we're going public. That's what's important. That's what everybody sees. But Jesus says this, Luke 16, 10. He said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest as much, with much. What Jesus is saying is, He's saying, actually, the proving ground for if you can do the big stuff, if you can be trusted with the big responsibilities, the proving ground is how you handle the small stuff, the stuff that nobody sees, the stuff that nobody else is aware of but only you're aware of it. God sees that stuff, and if you're faithful in that stuff, over time, you'll move up, you'll be given more responsibility. It's the proving ground. Another faithfulness test, this is an interesting one, money before influence is what Jesus says in Luke 16, 11 says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, trustworthy in handling worldly wealth is handling it the way that God instructs. If you haven't been trustworthy in that, he says, who will trust you with true riches? True riches being talking about other people. True riches is is spiritual influence in the life of another person. What he's saying is here, and and we all know this. We've heard stories. It's it's, kind of tough for us to believe, but we all know this. You know, you can make a fortune. You can make all the money in the world and get to the end of your life and be disappointed and really have nothing to show for yourself. I mean, we, we hear stories of this happening all the time. We it's tough for us to believe because usually we think, oh, if I'm gonna have if I'm gonna have influence, if I'm gonna have status, if people are gonna approve of me, if I'm gonna have worth in the eyes of other people, well, I gotta have money. So usually we make money the number one thing. But God says, actually, money's not the number one thing. If you make money the number one thing, Money's going to control you. It's going to own you. It's going to determine what you do. But he says, actually, if you're faithful, if you're trustworthy with your money, if instead of making it all about you, it's me, it's my money, I earned it, I can do with it, whatever I want to do. God says, actually, what you start with, you start by being generous with your money, actually uncomfortably generous with your money. He talks about two things, tithes and offerings. Tithes, that's 10%. I mean, automatically, you're giving away 10% of your income, according to God. And then offerings, that's just on top of that. That's uncomfortably generous with our money. He says you start there, and then you live within your income. You don't, you don't go beyond the boundaries of the income that you have. And then you, you're wise with your money. You plan and you invest in the future so that you're going to have money for the days ahead. God, God says if you're faithful with your money and can learn how to do that, he says that's when you can be trusted with stuff that really matters. See, there's people out there, when it comes to money, they don't have a lot of money to show for themselves, but they've spent their lives having the privilege of investing in other people, shaping other people's eternities, helping other people walk with God and live lives that really matter. They get to the end of their lives, even though their bank account might not show anything, they've got a lot to show for themselves because they've been given true riches. So you prove that you're able to take on that responsibility by starting with your money and handling your money the way that God instructs you to. It's a faithfulness test. Third faithfulness test. Another's before my own. Very next verse, Luke 16, verse 12. These three verses come in a row. Jesus says this. He says, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? You're usually when we're serving under somebody else or we're working under some somebody else, we're usually like, man, when can I get out of this? When can I get in a position where, where I get the recognition, where I get the credit, where, where I get the rewards? I don't want to serve under this other person. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm busting my tail to make them successful, and nobody's recognizing me. We want to get out of it as soon as we can. But God says, actually, that's a faithfulness test. If you can prove yourself trustworthy when you're not the one getting the direct credit, when you're the one working to make somebody else successful, he says, actually, that's a test. And if you can do that, well, then what you're proving is you're proving that you can be trusted with more. Three faithfulness tests, small before big, money before influence, another's before my own. These are three really important areas that we need to pay attention to because as we're faithful, we handle these responsibilities over time, we're going to move up the ladder and we're going to climb. Now, we can summarize this kind of based on where we're at right now. Got a responsibility, climb the ladder of responsibility, you're faithful in that. Accountability goes up with it, privileges match. We can summarize this balance, these lining up, this process with the word just. This is just. When this happens, there's justice. This is the way it's supposed to be. And it's just, and it's right, and it's good, because God says this is the way it's supposed to be. As you take on responsibility, accountability matches up with it, and then the privileges start to flow. This is just, and this is right, because this is how God designed reality to work. Now, here's the challenge for you and me. You and me, well, I don't wanna assume what you think, but I'll say for myself, I don't really like responsibility. I don't want more pressure. I don't want more weight on my shoulders. I mean, oftentimes, I approach life looking for how to live the permanent vacation lifestyle. That's what I, don't, that's what I want. I don't, I don't necessarily want more responsibility. You know what we also really don't like? Not, not, not as it just responsibility, we also really don't like accountability. Somebody just kind of randomly dropping in to check the quality of our work, those peering eyes, making sure that we're being diligent and working hard and we're not distracted and daydreaming and off doing our hobbies, we really don't like the accountability. But you know what we do like? Privilege. We love the privilege. We want the reward, we want the money, we want the free time, we want the vacation lifestyle, we want the privileges, but we we don't want the responsibility and we don't want the accountability that lines up with that privilege. And so what we'll do inside of our hearts, because we want that privilege, and because on our value scale, we put the privileges, this is a top thing, and and on our perspectives, we think that, oh, man, if I could just get the privilege, well, then I would be happy, then I would be satisfied. That's the life that I want. Because we filter our desires through those things, we come up with strategies on the inside of our heart to get out from under the responsibility, to not have the accountability, but to get the privilege, because the privilege is what we want. So I was, I was talking to a friend a couple years ago, and he was in a relationship at the time. And um, I asked him, they were, they were pretty serious. I asked him, hey, do you think you guys are going to get married? And he gave an answer. It was a, it was a pretty common answer, um, but it was an interesting comparison. And what he said was, he said, um, he said, I don't want to buy the car, I just want to lease it. And my thought was, I wonder how she would feel if she heard you say that out loud, like if she heard you say that, would she even want to be in the relationship with you anymore? But then my second thought was, he's being, he's being honest. He, what he was saying was, he was saying, I don't want the responsibility of marriage. I don't want the till death do us part, for better, for worse, sickness, health. I don't want that. I don't want the legal agreement that attaches me to this other person. But you know what I do want? I want the privilege. I want to wake up next to the other person. I want the sex, I want the built-in friendship, I want the doing life together with another person. I want the privilege, but I don't want to take on that responsibility. We do this in all different areas of life. We want the privilege, we want the good stuff, but we want to figure out a way, how how can I get around this responsibility thing? How can I avoid the accountability? How can I just go after the privilege and get that? When we do this, Here's what happens. Instead of being faithful to climb the ladder of responsibility, we step off the ladder, we look for shortcuts, we go after the privilege, and the word that the Bible uses to describe that is the word rebellion. And the reason it's rebellion it seems like a harsh word. Come on, Elliot, it's not rebellion, we just want the privileges. And, and a lot of these things, I mean, even like, let's take, uh, let's take the example of living together or having sex before marriage. Our society actually says it's foolish not to test drive the car before you buy it. So there's all kinds of stuff where our society says that's not, that's not rebellion. That's the way it's supposed to be. The reason it's rebellion, the reason that we're using that word, is because it's going against the way God designed reality to work. That's why it's rebellion. It really doesn't matter what other people say. It matters what God says on the topic. And if God says it's on the topic, well, he's the one that designed reality. So we can either go along with his... Reality that he designed, or we can try to work against it, go after the privilege, then we're entering into rebellion. We rebel when we take privileges that we don't deserve. And because this is supposed to be a just balance, because these three are supposed to line up, when we're not faithful with our responsibilities, we go after the privilege, we are setting the wheels of justice in motion, and we are starting a process where we will experience judgment because of our actions. Sometimes it's instant. I mean, sometimes we can think of examples where somebody does something, they take a privilege that they don't deserve, and then bam, it's instant. You know, think of like sports are going on right now. Some fan does something stupid, decides they want to be on the field of play too. So they go run on the field of play where only the players have the privilege of being. Well, I mean, the judgment is instant. Some security card just comes in and just lays them out. And it's like, oh yeah, that was stupid. He shouldn't have taken that privilege. That wasn't his. Other times it takes decades Sometimes it takes a lifetime to experience the consequences of the wheels of justice being set in motion. So we look around us and we say, well, they're getting away with it. Well, they're getting away with it. Or even in our lives, we think, come on, this, this isn't real. This isn't the way God set up reality. I mean, I did that, and I haven't experienced anything bad. But we work against the way God designed reality. We set the wheels of justice in motion. There will be judgment. We're going to be held accountable for that. And then the outcome eventually is going to be loss. We're going to be in a worse place than where we started. There's loss when we work against the way God designed reality to work. I was uh, working in a company, and we um, we made consumer goods, and there were some uh, perks that were given to the leaders in the company, some of the managers, the guys that were higher up, where they could take some of the products that we made, and they could give them away. They could give them to family, they could give them to friends, they could keep some for themselves, and it was addition to their uh, to their salary and it was agreed upon by the company. So this was a, this was a known thing that the company decided to do as a, as a privilege to these guys who were leaders. And so I was kind of lower, I was an entry in the company and there were some other guys that were kind of around my same place. And one of these guys, um, he saw what the, what the leaders, higher ups were doing. He decided he wanted to do it too. He had access to the product and so he decided, well, they're able to give it away, they're able to use it for themselves, I'm gonna do it too. So he started taking the product, He would give it away to friends, he would take some, he would use it for himself. And uh, what what do you think happened to this guy? You think he just kept moving up the ladder? No, he set the wheels of justice in motion, and actually he was fired, and what he was fired for was theft, for stealing. So while at one moment he had a job and had the income, because he decided to go after the privilege that wasn't his, he hadn't been given it, because he didn't have that responsibility, set the wheels of justice in motion, he's held accountable, then he experiences loss. And the loss isn't just the loss of a job and the loss of an income for him. It was a small, pretty tight-knit industry. Now his reputation is hurt. Now it's hard for him to get another job because he's been fired because of this character issue of stealing from the company. This is how God designed reality to work. If you go after the privilege without being faithful in your area of responsibility and taking the privileges that matches that, if you just go after the privilege, you've set the wheels of justice in motion, you will be held accountable, there will be judgment, and you're gonna experience loss in life. You're inviting unnecessary pain into your life. But if you wanna climb, if you wanna advance, one of the beautiful things about this is because God's laid this out for us, if you wanna get ahead, if you wanna experience success, if you want the privileges at a higher level, you get that by saying, okay, what are my responsibilities? What are my responsibilities right now? Okay, I need to be faithful with that. I need to be faithful with the small stuff. I need to be faithful with my money. I need to be faithful in the places where I'm serving under another person. And over time, as you do that, you will climb the ladder. You will advance. Again, this is how God designed reality to work. So for you and me, as we kind of get our heads around the PAR principle, what we have the opportunity to do is to choose, okay, am I gonna allow this to to inform my decision-making which will result in more success, advancement, a better experience in life, or am I going to reject this? I'm going to say, no, that's not really how reality works. And then we're working against how God says reality works, and we're going to invite unnecessary pain into our lives. The par principle. This is how God designed reality. So now it's a question for us inside of our hearts. Are we going to choose to act on that, or are we going to reject it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for not leaving us in the dark on reality. I thank you for making a, a just world, a world where there, there is right, and that right is based on what you have said. It's not something that we have to guess. We don't make our own reality. We are already in the reality that you created. And then you've outlined for us in your word how it works and how we can move and advance. And also you've warned us out of love what will happen if we ignore this. So, God, I thank you for the wisdom of this, and I pray this is something that we would allow to inform our decisions. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.